So it says, And Paul approved of his, Stephen, execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering the house, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed, proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they had heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had yet not fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven, or may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that the Word through the Spirit would be our teacher. And that in teaching us, you would cause us to obey. For the glory of Christ we ask. Amen. I recently came across the true story of Ruby Ibarra's 15th birthday party in Mexico. Her her dad invited family and friends through a Facebook video. Food and music and games were promised, along with a 10,000 peso prize for the winner of the horse race. All are invited, 
Ruby's dad said on this video, a local party planner shot the video, but when he went to upload the video and post the video to Facebook, he accidentally posted or clicked public instead of private. 900,000 shares later, 1.2 million people had RSVP'd. Commercial airliners were giving 30% off ticket discounts for everyone flying to Ruby Ibarra's birthday party. Apparently, Ruby's dad was in need of some assistance. Have you ever been in need of assistance in your life? Are you in need of assistance today? Are you lonely today and feel like no one living knows the burdens that you bear? Do you feel defeated by sin today and hear yourself calling out with the Apostle Paul, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Maybe you find yourself Unable to believe the promises of God. They are in one unbelieving ear and out the other. Are you afraid today? Are you plagued by that merciless question, what if? If you were here last week or if you were listening to Mason, you'll remember that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in just the last passage of Acts was in need of some assistance. Stephen, a deacon, a servant of the church, had been stoned to death for his preaching of the gospel. People were leaving their coats with a young man called Saul for them to have a better throw at Stephen. But our passage today opens with these words. Look back again at chapter 8 verse 1 where Luke the authorite and Saul approved of his Stephen's execution and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Saul went from keeping coats to sadistically and brutally ravaging the church. But as Mason was only a few minutes ago saying, the truth was this was all according to plan. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said to the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And this persecution was precisely how that promise was fulfilled. This persecution was how the gospel was taken from Jerusalem, which was like the nerve center of early Christianity, to the nations of the world. And as we'll see today, none other than the Holy Spirit of God assisted the church as they went. The point of our passage today is, the Holy Spirit empowers Jesus' witnesses. The Holy Spirit empowers Jesus' 
witnesses. If you're in need of assistance today, friend, take heart. Because the Spirit who was at work in and through the early Christians is the same Holy Spirit able to assist you today. Do you know when we began our our series in the book of Acts, I wonder if you can remember, I told us that there's a, a story in the Gospels that illustrates really the whole book so well. Immediately, the gospel writer Mark tells us, he, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully. For the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they, were, they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Well, by the time we come to Acts chapter 8, Jesus had taken his seat on the heavenly mountain and he was praying for his church. And the church here in Acts chapter 8 was in a storm, but in our passage today, the Holy Spirit walks on the waters of their persecution and empowers them to do all that Jesus had called them to do. And so friends, again, assistance is available to you. Just as assistance was available to them, no matter the trial, no matter the circumstance, no matter the obstacle, no matter the danger, no matter the trial, he has you right where he wants you in your life. And he has a power available for you, sufficient for every need. And for you to do all that he's called you to do. The Holy Spirit empowers Jesus' witnesses. And today we're going to see number one with supreme power. And number two for kingdom growth. Number one with supreme power. Turn back with me in your Bibles and look at Acts chapter 8 verse 4. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and that was probably Shechem, just by the way, and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. 
Victor Hugo, the French poet and novelist and playwright, once wrote this, there is one thing stronger than all the armies in the world, and that is an idea whose time has come. Well, evidently, the gospel of Jesus Christ trumps even the best of ideas. When it is preached in the demonstration of spirit and of power, it is nothing less than the dynamite of God. And when God's dynamite is detonated, it demolishes strongholds of the kingdom of darkness and brings it to its knees. Luke in this narrative zeroes in on Philip's ministry among the Samaritans. You all remember the Samaritans, don't you? They were those uh, ethnic half-breeds. Assyria had taken the ten tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel off and dispersed them among the nations in 732 or 722 BC. They'd imported a load of foreigners who intermarried with the few Jews that were left in the land. And so the Jews despised the Samaritans. Because they were viewed as a compromised people, half-breeds, a a watered-down people. And yet evidently no ethnic group is excluded from the blessings of the gospel when the Holy Spirit validates the message. As Philip heralded the good news of the shed blood of the substitutionary death, of the literal and bodily resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Jesus to the Father's right hand, the Holy Spirit accompanied his preaching with a power, power, wonder-working power causing signs and wonders to explode among his hearers. Picture the scene. Demons were shrieking and running for their lives. Those who had had no use of limbs Our entire body parts were all of a sudden standing to the hearing of the gospel and rejoicing and dancing. And the crowds were so amazed that God put more joy in their hearts than when when grain and wine abound. More joy than a kid on Christmas morning. They were enraptured. They were transfixed. They were mesmerized like a deer in the headlights, standing there thinking, we have never seen and we have never heard anything like this before in our lives. Now, somebody once asked the very famous atheist David Hume, why do you go to hear George Whitfield preach when you don't believe a word that he says? I don't, Hume replied, but he does. Whitfield was a house on fire, and Philip was a house on fire too. But Luke tells us that this wasn't the first time these Samaritans had been impressed with some power. These Samaritans, they'd paid attention to Simon the sorcerer. They viewed him as some kind of appearing of a divine figure. Justin Martyr was a believer in the 100 AD, and he described Simon as someone, quote, who did mighty acts of magic so that he was considered a god and was worshipped not only by almost all the Samaritans, but even by some in Rome who erected a statue in his honor. But notice how the signs and wonders performed by Philip outdid the magic tricks performed by Simon. Why? Because whereas Simon's sorcery rebounded to his empty praise, Philip's ministry rebounded to the praise of Jesus Christ, who is altogether worthy and who is all deserving of praise. 
Simon claimed that he was somebody great. Philip claimed that Jesus was somebody greater. Simon was a sorcerer. Philip was a preacher. A herald of the king of kings. Endowed with spiritual authority by the Holy Spirit himself. Simon's sorcery made people stand in awe of him. Philip's ministry made people stand in awe of Christ. Because he ministered in the power of the spirit. Who was busy throwing all of the spotlight glory on Jesus Christ. And on Christ alone. Philip became invisible. And the glory of, the, of Christ was made manifest. And since this town wasn't big enough for the both of them. Simon and his magic tricks had to bow at the feet of Jesus. Like Pharaoh's magicians. Conquered by Moses' miracles. Like the priests of Baal on Mount Carmel. Unable to bring the fire before Elijah, Simon was confronted with a superior power and he was conquered. Now friends, it is my belief that almost all of us in this room, deep down in our hearts, believe that this passage is absolutely irrelevant to our lives, both non-Christians and Christians. If you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, maybe you've been thinking to yourself, Hugh, if the Bible takes sorcery seriously, then I can't take the Bible seriously. Hugh, I don't know if you know this, but we've been getting people to the moon for 60 years. We are scientific people. We are heirs of the enlightenment. But friend, I wouldn't be so quick to consider yourself enlightened. Yes, we are capable of stunning ingenuity, discovery, and knowledge. But when divorced from a Christian worldview, more knowledge only means more rope with which to hang ourselves. That's why we have people with notable intellects in the world today, unable to answer the question, what is a woman? Maybe we're more proud than we are enlightened. Maybe we are more deluded than we are wise. And maybe the world is more spiritual than we think it is. But I'm coming after you Christians as well. Because some of you have thought to yourselves, yeah Hugh, uh, if paralytics and if demons were running from, for their lives at my preaching, then I would be going town to town preaching the gospel as well. But Hugh, I've never witnessed a miracle before. And you know, it is true, isn't it, that miracles do very much seem to explode at the beginning of new eras of redemptive history. Moses shook all of Egypt with the miracles then as Israel was being called out of Egypt. Elijah and Elisha before miracles right at the dawn of the era of the prophets. Jesus before miracles to validate his identity and his ministry. The early church carried on that work. And just as miracles became less frequent toward the end of all of those eras of redemptive history. Let's admit it to ourselves. Miracles are rare today. It's not that miracles don't happen. It's not that miracles can't happen. It's that they are far rarer today than they were in the book of Acts. But friend, let me ask you this question. What year is it? 
Well, it's the year 2022, which means for 2022 years, the Holy Spirit has been saving men and women and boys and girls from every generation without an explosion of miracles because he doesn't need them to work. He doesn't need miracles to empower the church with a superior power as they bear witness to the glory of Jesus Christ. He's glorious enough. That whereas Jews demand signs and whereas Greeks demand wisdom, we preach Christ and him crucified. And even though since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. That's how you got saved, wasn't it? It wasn't through a miracle. It wasn't because someone exercised a demon out of you or the person awkwardly sat next to you? Listen, Philip's gospel is our gospel. And the Holy Spirit who empowered Philip is the Holy Spirit who empowers us. The question for us today is, is the purpose of your life one and the same with the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that friend? Because when your purpose is one and the same. With the purpose of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Wonderful things. Can happen. Miraculous things. Can happen. When your purpose in life is. One and the same with the purpose of the Holy Spirit. That is when. He comes alongside you. That is when he walks on the water of your hardship and draws near to you. That is when he assists you. That is when he will supply you with everything that you need to do what you can't do, what I can't do in and of myself. So friend, again, is this the ambition of your life? Is it? Maybe you'd say, Hugh, I, I, I want it to be, but that ambition just isn't as I'd like it to be. It isn't where I want it to be. And so with all of my heart, I want to say this to you. Get a front row seat to the glory of Jesus Christ. The more of him you see, the more of him you will want to share. The more of him you encounter, the more of him you will want to pass on to others. And that is when the Spirit will empower you to do what he's called you and every Christian to do. The Holy Spirit empowers Jesus' witnesses, number one, with superior power, and number two, for kingdom growth. Look with me, friend, at verse 14. It says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, They sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, Give me this power also so that, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, 
because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villagers, villages of the Samaritans. Now friends, surprise, surprise, these verses are hard. <laughs> these verses are very difficult for people to grasp. How, how could these Samaritans have received the Lord Jesus Christ and been baptized and not received the Holy Spirit, especially when Peter said in that great Pentecost sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, this lot didn't. And not only that, but Peter and, not, not until Peter and John showed up and Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, anyone who does not have the Spirit of, of Christ does not belong to him. So what, what does that say about these Samaritans? Well, friends, after a great deal of study, I believe that I can help us here this morning. I believe that the Holy Spirit didn't fall on these Samaritans until Peter and John arrived because God wanted to make it as clear as possible through the two most authoritative believers in the world, that all are welcome to Jesus Christ. Even half-Jews like these Samaritans, and even Gentiles like you and me, are all welcome. They would have the stamp of approval of the apostles, the very spokesmen for the Lord Jesus Christ, saying to the world, yes, these men too are welcome to Christ. Let no one disregard them. Let no one separate them from these believers over here. And that's good news, isn't it, friends? Because what that means is all are welcome to Jesus, bar none. All are welcome to Jesus Christ. All. In the Gospels, we read that when Jesus had been rejected by a Samaritan town, the Apostle John asked Jesus, Lord, do you want me to call down fire on this village and have them destroyed? But here is that same John imparting the fire of the Holy Spirit on a bunch of Samaritans when he lays their ha his hands on them. These men are welcome. These men and women are included. Do you know that the reason that story that I opened with this morning was so hilarious is because no human being in the world could single-handedly cater for 1.2 million people. There's no oven big enough. There are no, uh, no amount of hours, not enough hours in the day, but Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth, and he has enough to go around. He doesn't leak. He doesn't get empty. 
And there's no amount of men or women in the world that could come to Jesus and have him say to them, sorry, too many, come back tomorrow. I don't have enough for you. You know, racial divides go very deep, don't they? But the gospel of Jesus Christ overcame them all in this moment. And it demolished that barrier wall. Do you really think, friend, that the gospel can't overcome whatever it is that's holding you back today? Do, Do you really think that Jesus will keep you at arm's length because you don't have a church background? And because you don't know the words to the hymns off by heart. And because all of the people that surround you today look and sound and maybe even smell a little bit different to you. No, Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Never. And Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Friends, there's a Savior here in our passage with open arms, wide enough to welcome all. Doesn't matter what race you are, doesn't matter what background you have, doesn't matter what interests you used to enjoy, it is time to come to Jesus. But where is kingdom growth meant the inclusion of some? It also exposed the hypocrisy of others. In the same moment, Simon was said to have believed with the Samaritans. But Philip makes it very clear that his faith was not saving faith. He says, may your silver perish with you. You thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have, part, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. And then even his confession is far more concerned with getting out of judgment than it is getting right with God. Friend, that is not conversion, not at all. If you're here today and perhaps the message has been speaking to you, the way that you can know whether God's kingdom is being open to you is whether you are far more concerned with getting right with God than you are getting out of judgment. Do you know, demons don't want to be judged by God. They were running for their lives in this passage, but they weren't running to the kingdom of God. Uh, They weren't running into the arms of Christ. But friend, if you want a place in God's kingdom today, then you must run to the cross of Jesus Christ. The only place where you can get right with God. But Christians, there's something essential for us here as well. And I hope we hear it. And it's this, we should expect false professions And great discouragements when we labor for kingdom growth in our day. Do you know what? At a first glance, everything seemed like Simon had been converted with the rest of the Samaritans. The same language 
is used. They believed, we are told, and they were baptized. Well, there you go, right? Wrong. Church, hear me. We are not the first church to experience discouragements and disappointments and letdowns. We are not the first ones to hear people profess faith in Christ one moment and walk away from Christ the next. If Jesus Christ and the apostles, and if the early church in Jerusalem and in all of the locations that churches were planted in the ancient world witnessed the same thing, who do we think we are to expect anything different? Friend, you remember the rich young ruler? You remember the 5,000 who ate the miracle bread and then walked away from Jesus in the next day or so? You remember Judas Iscariot? Do you remember Ananias and Sapphira? Do you remember Demas, the apostate, in love with this present world, forsook the apostle Paul? Friends, kingdom growth doesn't mean skipping and lollipops all the way to heaven. Could any of us doubt that the Holy Spirit had empowered Philip's ministry? Demons were fleeing, the sick were being healed, people were getting saved, and there was a false convert. Friends, this is par for the course in every church that wants to see the kingdom of God grow in their midst. It happens. It has happened. It will happen. And you know, whenever I hear someone profess faith in our midst, And then walk away from Jesus. I am so tempted to believe that voice that whispers in my ear, Hugh, this is because you're a loser. This is because God hasn't called you. This is because you're not like that pastor over here. And if you were like that pastor over here, that guy would still be here today. But you know, only a couple of weeks ago, I read you all the account of the revival that happened in Water Beach under Spurgeon's ministry. It really was a revival. There was a man who was converted. He was a drunkard. He professed to be converted. And you know, this man experienced such a radical change in his life. Do you know what he would do on a Sunday morning? He would load up his barge and he would row boats of people down the canal to go and hear Spurgeon. You can all do that if you want to come and hear me one day. And then he fell away. And the first man that Spurgeon trained for the ministry, this man that he poured his entire life into, became a mighty preacher and then moved to America and started a cult and renounced his faith in Christ. If it happened to Philip, if it happened to Spurgeon, it's going to happen here as well. So I want to close with two encouragements for us. Friends, do hear me when I say this. Not only is the Holy Spirit the one who empowers us to be Jesus' witnesses, he's the one who comforts us too. He's the comforter. He's the one who comforts us when we encounter trials of various kinds. And so can I say this? Do not refuse his comfort when you are disappointed. When he comes alongside you and he says, Hugh or whoever you are, look heavenward and look at his sufficiency 
and look at his sovereignty over all men and hear his promise, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. You look at his unstoppable power to do what you cannot do. And look at how righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. That throne that rules over the nations of men. And fear not, for he is with you. And be not dismayed, for he is your God. And he will help you. And he will strengthen you. And he will uphold you with his righteous right hand. And then having been encouraged, here's the other encouragement for us, friends. Persevere. Keep going. Now don't miss this, friends. Stop thinking about Sunday lunch right now. I need you to see what we're going to see here. Right after Simon was exposed for who he was, look with me at verse 25, the last verse in our passage. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem doing what? Preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. What did they do after they were discouraged? They did the exact same thing that they'd been doing before they'd been discouraged. The exact same thing. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. The Holy Spirit empowers Jesus witnesses with superior power and for kingdom growth. Amen. Why don't we stand and sing? Let's sing our hearts out to this one. Holy Spirit, living.